0: Now, get growing with Farmer Fred. Talk650 and KSTE.com. Here is Fred
1: Hoffman. And a happy Sunday morning to you. Welcome to Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE. Farmer Fred here, Fred Hoffman, UC Cooperative Extension, Lifetime Master Gardener, Garden Columnist with the Lodi News Sentinel, the guy that does all the typing at FarmerFred.com, all the ranting at the Farmer Fred Rant blog page at twitter.com slash farmerfred. Daily garden tips, lots of snark. The Get Growing with Farmer Fred Facebook page, where there is always a garden dialogue going on. On today's program, professional horticultural <laughs> nerd. Nerd. Uh, <laughs> I can say it. It's Deb- fine. Debbie Flower is here. Well, she is. I, I appreciate that. I have a fondness for nerds. Yes. Well. Good. Good. Yes. Yeah. Former college instructor in right. in the art, science. And it is an art, and it's a science, and it's a craft. Yeah, that's the a beauty, lot of... beauty of
2: gardening, it and it's buy... changing all the time.
1: Yes, everything we know is wrong, all and right. and don't are... worry, it'll change. We have we have to relearn. Yep, Debbie Flower is here. We're here to answer your gardening questions, your mid autumn queries about what's going on in the garden. And uh, you can call us at 576-1578 in the 916 area code. Outside the area, 866-331-8255. Email, sure, send it to fred at farmerfred.com. Now, if you are part of the massive people who were listening to the KFPK Garden Show a few minutes ago and have come over here to uh, get growing, I think we promised, Debbie, that we would talk about some controls on for white flies, and we right. we had talked about uh, how there are parasitic mini wasps,
2: mm-hmm.
1: garden good guys, that uh, can help control white flies. By it's kind of it's kind of gruesome, uh, but they basically lay eggs inside the white flies. The white fly that little egg hatches, and the little critter yes. sort of eats its way out. Yes, yeah. and then is. I i don't want to get that confused with what happens to tomato worms, which is really nifty. And that's another wasp that lays its eggs inside the worm, and then those hatch, and then they come up to the surface, and they pupate by forming what looks like a cotton swab on the backs of the mm-hmm. tomato worm, which which is nifty looking, if you've ever seen it. I think you've
2: it. posted a picture, haven't you? Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And it's... Uh, it's a nifty thing to do. All right. Um, all right. So anyway, let's talk about the parasitic mini wasps and uh, what we can plant in our yard to attract them. Because having pests around is not a major attractant
2: for garden good guys. It's nice. Well, they have, you have to have the pests or the good guys won't come. Right.
1: But they also need a place for shelter and clothing. Yes, and, and, and drinks. Food, and food for the adults. Yes. Because it's usually the younger stages of the good guys that, that do, do the eating. Of, yeah. In most cases, right. Yeah. So, and, and just like in, in, in human life, uh, the ones laying eggs are usually the youngsters. The ones laying eggs are yeah. usually the youngsters? Yeah, well, the parasitic mini wasps laying the eggs. Okay. Probably a younger parasitic a younger mini wasp. A younger adult. Yeah, because the older parasitic mini wasp are in the uh, parasitic mini wasp home. Okay. Or something okay. like that. Which Getting would be dementia those, care. Yes. W- would be in, in those plants in your yard where they're hanging out and telling the kids how to do things. Okay. What whatever. So they need a
2: they need a family
1: homestead. Yes, exactly. There we go. So parasitic mini wasps, we're talking like braconid wasps, uh that feed on all sorts of moth, beetle, and fly larvae. Uh the I can't say this. mm wasp. Mm-hmm. Uh, which controls moth, butterfly, beetle, and fly larvae. Trichogramma wasps, or however. And there are a whole host of plants that these good guys find attractive. And it's kind of interesting in that a lot of them have a commonality to them, and that commonality is sort of a flat flower. Uh Uh-huh. Like a, a Queen Anne's lace yeah, cosmos, a yarrow, um, sedum, right. things like that. But uh, among those plants that attract the parasitic mini wasps that maybe you should have in your yard, the
2: aforementioned yarrow, and there's a lot of good yarrow varieties mm-hmm. out there. Um, I started some from seed in my greenhouse, and I, they're quite good size. So. You're just going to keep rubbing in this greenhouse thing, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. when it rains, I'm going to plant them in my garden. Yes. Oh, I need a greenhouse. All right, um,
1: coriander, you can plant that. I, I've noticed that, too, and, and when I grow cilantro this time of year,
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, I like to leave it in the garden mm-hmm. and let it
2: flower in April and May because it attracts all sorts of beneficials. Mm-hmm. A, car- a leftover carrot or radish or beet that you didn't get harvested and it's too corky and old, leave it. Let it go to flower and it'll do the same thing. And one of the
1: more common uh, ground covers that you see, alyssum, also mm-hmm. very attractive, right. to the parasitic miniwas. I like
2: to always uh, partner that with uh, uh, roses. Use it as a ground cover under roses mm, okay. for that reason. All right, uh, parsley is another good
1: one, right? But again, you have to let these flower, right? And that's why I don't have a problem right now. Like I, I was telling you earlier about you know my relationship with bok choy is kind of a love hate thing, yeah. Uh, and some of the plants are getting eaten. Some are also starting to flower, which is pretty early, which is sort of a sign of stress. Right. But the flowers attract beneficials. Exactly. So exactly. I can live with that. You know, you may not be on my salmon tomorrow, Mr. bok choy, but uh, you're, you're helping out by attracting these uh, uh, beneficials. Uh, Thyme uh, mm-hmm. attracts these beneficials. Uh, certain zinnias. I have often heard, I don't know if it's true or not, maybe you can shed some light on this. That the best varieties of these beneficial attracting plants are those varieties that are heirloom varieties, as mm-hmm. opposed to hybrid varieties, because the heirloom varieties have not had um, perhaps the scent uh, bred out of them or any other attractant. Because what's what's the purpose of hybridization? It's to make it more attractive for us, right? not necessarily more attractive for a beneficial insect.
2: Yeah, I think that's somewhat a good rule of thumb, although heirlooms aren't necessarily, they're not necessarily species. And if I have a choice, I'll go for the species. The species in general, I don't know if you can buy species zinnias, to be honest with you. The species in general are not as beautiful for us or as easy to care for, but they have the characteristics that attract the beneficial. Explain yourself, Lucy. Uh, Well, the species is uh, not a selection. It's what exists in nature. And if you just let the population keep uh, uh, breeding itself, uh, you just end up with the same thing over and over and over again. Varieties are, they're really cultivars. Uh, They're cultivated varieties. Humans have gotten involved and they've done some breeding. And they say, well, uh, this one stands up, has a really nice, strong stem. And this one has a really big flower head. And this one... Uh, has a nice color, and so they do the breeding uh, among those parent plants and come up with something totally new. But when that happens, usually something is lost, as you were alluding to, mm-hmm. like the smell. Um, uh, heirloom is a term that means uh, it's been around, and it varies by definition. It's uh, been passed down from generation to generation for maybe 75 years, 100 years. It, it, that's what varies by definition, the number of years. Um, But it's saved by people because they really like it, and it tends to come true from seed. Um, So any breeding is pretty stable in the plant, and you see it in the offspring and then the offspring of the offspring. But that doesn't mean it has all the characteristics that initially would have attracted the beneficial.
1: Would that hybrid variety, if you planted the seed year after year, obviously it's going to not be hybrid, right? Uh, you're gonna get the parents, yeah. And would that be closer to the heirloom? Depends what the parents were, yeah. And it depends who landed on it,
2: right? <laughs> where the where the yeah, where the other the pollen came from, or yeah. whatever, yeah. But
1: when you start talking about species varieties, uh, the, the easiest way to know if you're buying a species variety, it'll say something like Zinnia SPP,
2: uh, yeah typically when we buy seed it will be you know the blue beauty blue is a bad example because there's not a lot of blue in in the cultivated in plants in general but uh or you know sunbold zinnia i'm making these names up but some sort of english word uh and that's like zinnia <laughs> yeah well other than the zinnia word uh that's that's the cultivar that's what's it's been bred to do uh, and they give it a name to reflect what it does yeah. in case of sun something it 's probably yellow um, so it, it may say f one on the seed packet and f one hybrid is a particular type of hybrid um, and, and but that definitely tells you it 's a hybrid. It may just have this other name this uh if it 's written correctly it 's in single quotes. But many seed packets are not written correctly. So it's a whole nother ball of wax. Yeah. And
1: if anybody who's ever purchased seeds uh, from a seed catalog, I'm sure
2: has had personal experience with planting something and it doesn't come up as advertised. Right. I did a whole research project. <laughs> we were supposed to have one kind of Snapdragon. We had several seed packets because we needed that many seeds. They were all different. Yeah. That kind of throws a wrench in, the, in a research project. Yeah.
1: Growing plants for seed in agriculture is a tough job because Mm -hmm. of the isolation needed Mm -hmm. to be able to do this. Or growing plants for not seed like in seedless citrus. Yeah, exactly. uh, Got to keep the bees out. And so you go by a a mandarin uh, orchard in early, late winter, early spring, and they all look like ghosts because they have these white sheets. Covered up. To keep them covered so that they don't get cross-pollinated. Right. Yeah. We have to take a break. We'll come back. Uh, We'll delve into the email you've been sending to Fred at FarmerFred.com. And uh, your phone calls at 576-1578 or 866-331-8255. Garden Grappler coming up at 11 o'clock. Clue available at FarmerFred.com. Clue available at the Get Growing with Farmer Fred Facebook page as well. Hi, Brooks. Brooks running the board today. More Get Growing on the way on Talk 650 KSTE. get growing continues
0: with farmer fred talk 650 kste here again fred
1: hoffman what could possibly be on the garden grappler this week I at 11 o- at 11 o'clock well if you'd read your email you'd know what it would be <laughs> Debbie. i was playing scrabble <laughs> yes i know you were playing scrabble you didn't check your email but i i think it'll have something to do with what we've been talking about all right but there are clues available Not only at FarmerFred.com, where you can click on the link where it says a clue for the Garden Grappler, but also at the Get Growing with Farmer Fred Facebook page, where there is a clue that can help you out with some possible answers. All right. Uh, Let's delve into the email. Actually, we're going to delve into actual mail. Somebody sent, remember remember these? Stamps
2: and envelope, and it's got a pretty picture of a flower on the envelope. What a nice letter. There's no stamp on it.
1: How did that happen? <gasps> but got there's no stamp on it. But I got delivered. but it got postmarked. Yeah, it got postmarked. Wow, wow! You get you, Karen. You lucked out in Nevada City for you sent this letter, and uh, <laughs> no that's stamp, amazing. Wow! All right, good job. I wonder how that happened. Anyway, Karen had written uh, a few weeks ago, mm-hmm. and uh, was talking about her missing grapes.
2: Mm-hmm. That
1: she went out one day, they're all gone. All right, she said. What sort of rat would do that? And I said, Well, usually rats or opossum, possum. Possum, yeah. I would... They would leave. You would know them because there would be there'd be litter all over the mm. ground. There would be half eaten grapes. And if it was just scavenging birds, if it was just the odd robin, there'd be pecks, and they wouldn't take the whole. Right. However, I said, it could be a crow. And not just a crow, but a flock of crows or whatever. a Murderer flock of, of crows. A murderer. And how appropriate is that? <laughs> because they can murder your plants in, in an hour. Mm-hmm. Because they come in in a flock, strip a, like an almond tree bear. And um, I said, so it might possibly be a, a flock of big birds like crows. And uh, she had said, um, well, I don't see any birds in in the grapes, so I don't think that's it. And, you know, end of conversation. So then this mail arrives from Karen in Nevada City. She says, "Uh, you were right on your first guess. I found this black feather. Here's the black feather. Oh, it sure is. Yeah. On the walkway by the grapes a week after the theft, your first answer was blackbirds. I said crows. Haven't seen any blackbird flocks in 40 years here, but all the fires in California may have them looking for Uh, new homes and food. uh, Yeah. That's a good point. That's a good point. Exactly. Um, But... I mean that's a, a sizable feather. Sure is.
2: That's a big feather. That's a big bird. Yeah, yeah. and this is probably like, six
1: inches. Yeah, six to eight inches across, and it's it's black. And it is. It could come from a crow. It could. And uh, like I'm saying, crows are smart. Mm-hmm. They can come in in a group, and they remember. That's the key with crows. Is yeah, if they visited your place once, they'll, they'll be, be back, back the following year. They have yeah. a time. They have a schedule. Yeah, they uh, they have phones, I guess. I don't know. But, <laughs> but they're keeping a calendar of what's in bloom and where it
2: is and uh-huh. what what's ready to eat. Uh-huh. I have a Washington hawthorn particularly, my husband hates it because it has thorns, but yeah. for the fruit, because of the uh, cedar waxwings. Now, they, they migrate, mm-hmm. but they come in all at once, all in a big group, and strip the tree bare. And I just think they're such beautiful birds, and I want to see them, so that's why I have the tree. Okay. and But, yeah, and it, it's you're not making
1: jam no or anything like that no so it's okay yeah yeah all right that, and you know i don't have any problem with attracting uh a lot of little birds I mean, back when we lived in harold we had a little grove if you will of bay laurel and the little birds just loved to live in there yeah i have around. hummers living in mine yeah. yeah and never had a tomato worm in harold right cuz the birds eat them i had a tomato worm in folsom like Two weeks after I was there, wow! I had moved over a pepper plant that I had in a container.
2: And, and like, it came complete.
1: <laughs> and all of a sudden, there's this huge, humongous tomato worm on the pepper plant.
2: It seems like all of a sudden, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know where that came from. But anyway, what
1: can you do? All right. Let's uh, delve into the email you're sending to uh, fred at farmerfred.com. Here's an interesting question from Carol. And you can give it your best Jerry Baker answer, Debbie. Uh Uh-oh. On this one. Carol asks, is there an additive or planting mix that will improve the flavor and other quality of tomatoes besides simply the variety? This year, after the first season, I cut my plants back, added some worm castings and fertilizer, and have a nice new crop. I was inspired to do so because the first production was so poor due to so much heat. And... That's not a bad strategy, too. If you see your plant suffering in July, mm-hmm. uh why not cut it back? Mm-hmm. Because we have a long growing season here. We have a very long growing yeah. season, yeah. The other option, in my mind, too, is, well, nurseries still keep tomato plants around in July. They just pot The beauty them of up cutting
2: better. back, though, is that she's got the root system. Right. You've got that. But in, in the nursery,
1: those Things are in bigger pots. They can come in pretty big pots. Yeah. That's very true. So, you know, if you wanted to start
2: over again in July, you could do right. that too. But, and you can do it with a, a tomato because it's something called a day neutral plant. Some plants respond to night length, and, uh, and so you cut them back and you could lose them. But a tomato is not that way, it doesn't respond to, to day length or night length. Mm, okay. That's good to know. Um, so, you could plant them under a street light.
1: Yeah, it wouldn't matter. All right. Your temperature responders. So is there an additive to improve the flavor of tomatoes?
2: Not a specific one. If your soil is deficient in some nutrients, then you do need to add those. But the only thing that's going to tell you that is a soil test. Right. And I think there would be other...
1: Signs, indicators, other than flavor, it would be the size of the tomato, the shape of the tomato, the productivity of, of the Color of the plant. leaves, yeah. quantity of leaves. Yeah. You don't
2: have to bite into one to know that the plant is suffering. Right. Um, that's the one what... thing that maybe you want to cut back on is water. It doesn't change the flavor, but it allows the fruit to dry out, and that concentrates the flavor.
1: Mm-hmm. I want to talk more about street lights. Okay. Roseville High recently had a Titan Arum plant mm-hmm. in, their, in their greenhouse. And it never bloomed, right? It never bloomed. Do you know why it never bloomed? Well, I'm assuming light was involved. Yeah. It, there was like a security light outside their greenhouse that was on 24 hours a day. And the science teacher there uh, surmised that, and, and he checked with other experts too, that it was too much light for the plant. That's why that bud never opened.
2: That would have to be a very strong light, because light we can see light that would have absolutely like moonlight mm-hmm. that would have absolutely no effect on plants now, don't call and say, "I plant by the moon, blah blah blah." The moon <laughs> is a powerful thing, and but I 'm only talking about the light it throws here yeah uh, I'm not talking about its uh, effect on tides and gravity and water flow and all that stuff. Well, that's only for Scorpios and Libras. (laughs) I'm a Scorpio. Uh, So I I would want to take out a light meter and check the the quantity of foot candles or or lumens that that light is putting out, because it would have to be like 3,000, probably. Maybe maybe 2,000 would be enough to affect... uh, and that, and you'd have to measure it at the plant, not outside at the light, but at the plant. Um, well, I'm currently running an experiment then in my front oh, yard,
1: <laughs> since there's a streetlight out there, and I, and it's a pretty bright streetlight.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I'm thinking, well, are my Christmas cheer Nipophias going to bloom this year, if that streetlight is there?
2: And are they light sensitive? That I don't know. Not all plants are. All
1: right. But I'm thinking, uh, planted right underneath that street light, I have in a container a, a banana shrub, a Michaelia, mm-hmm. or, or Magnolia now. They changed the genus on it. And I'm wondering, I hope that will bloom come March and April because of its wonderful aroma. Mm-hmm. So, like I say, I'm running an experiment now to see if under a, a typical street
2: light, mm-hmm. plants bloom normally. What I learned is, is the, the short answer is no. It, it won't typical it. street okay. light is not... St- does not provide enough intensity of light. Intensity is a combination of, well, duration is a combination of intensity. No, that's not right either. Uh, Quantity is a combination of intensity and duration. So if it's on 24 hours and it's a lower light, that is more impactful than if it's on 12 hours and it's the same uh, intensity of light. But still, you have to get that light up up a certain uh to a certain intensity Mm -hmm. a number of foot candles or lumens if you're a photographer you can use your camera i'm uh you know a photographer who uses a light meter those light meters work but i don't know how to do the translate what you the numbers you would read off of that to foot candles or lumens
1: well you threw out the figure three thousand earlier
2: Mm -hmm. three thousand is a good production number for a full sun plant in a greenhouse uh of 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 Full sun on a summer day uh, in California in the Central Valley would be twelve to 13,000 yeah. foot candles. Uh, there has to be a certain intensity of light in order to affect the f- f- uh, physiology of the plant. And the plant has to be light sensitive. Things that go dormant like our oak trees and maple trees and, and, and such are uh, uh, do keep track of light, uh, are, do we react to intensity of light. Um, and that's what tells That's how they keep track of dates is how long has the night been? Mm-hmm. So if the night is interrupted with a very strong light, that's the, that's the key is It has to be a very strong light, like 10,000 foot candles. You can just flick it on and flick it off and you won't get your poinsettia crop. Right. Well, that's but poinsettia. Uh, yes. Right. But we, our eyes have, we have irises that close and open. And so if the light is low, our iris is open and it appears to be a bright light to us. But if you take out a we, – we did this lab, and I gave them light meters, and they would measure the light at their desk where they took notes, 35-foot candles. Okay, 35-foot candles is not going to affect a plant. So, so that's a
1: reading light, basically. Yeah. yeah.
2: 50 is considered um, a good reading light. Okay. So we see it as a bright enough light that we can read, but the plant does not see it that way. All right. So that that's good news. All right. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. Yes, I know. Well, we'll find out. We'll take a short break. More
1: of Get Growing on the way on Talk 650 KSTE.
0: You're listening to Get Growing with Farmer Fred.
1: Talk 650 KSTE.
0: Here again, Fred Hoffman.
1: With my guest, Debbie Flower, horticultural consultant, nerd, yeah. expert, pro Uh, Garden Grappler coming up in a few minutes, uh, and we're answering your gardening questions. You can phone them in. Isn't that right, Brooks? The phones do work. All right. (laughs) You you can call us at 576-1578 in the 916 or outside the area, 866-331-8255. And email. You can send it to fred at farmerfred.com. Going back to Carol's question about improving the flavor and other qualities of tomatoes. Mm Mm-hmm. I really do blame the weather. Just about everybody had a poor tomato crop this year. Well, when temperatures get above ninety degrees they won't pollinate. Yeah. And they don't grow and they don't
2: ripen. Right. And and tomatoes end up small. It's uh it's actually the the range the desirable range of growing for really all plants, does this is the most desirable is forty five degrees to eighty six degrees Fahrenheit. You get above eighty six degrees Fahrenheit and all they're doing is keeping themselves cool some do it more efficiently like a cactus some do it less efficiently like your lawn uh but that's all they're trying to do if you hit them with fertilizer you're stressing them it's like sending somebody out on a uh to run a marathon and then as meeting them at the finish line and expecting them to eat a steak right then and there uh their their body can't digest it They're they would throw it up so you 45 to 86 degrees fahrenheit above that beans won't pollinate Uh, Tomatoes won't pollinate, and the plants are just pumping water through themselves to keep themselves cool. Just like humans will sweat, uh, plants use water to keep themselves cool. At Stockton Airport this past July, where they have a weather station, the Mm -hmm. National Weather
1: Service has, the average daily high for July of this year was 99.6 degrees. And uh, like you say, tomatoes cease making new flowers. They slow down the ripening they may get sunscald too mm-hmm. and i've sure got a lot of calls about that as well uh, what's interesting is it doesn't take that much to make a difference now i don't recall people complaining about their tomato crops the last couple of years uh, 2016 or 2015 and in 2016 the average maximum high for july was 95 so that's about four degrees less So, but it is a big difference and take that Another year back to July 2015, the average high in July was 93, and it didn't have that consecutive plus 90 like mm-hmm. we had this year. Mm-hmm. There were eight days that had a high temperature in the 80s, and five of those mild days were consecutive as well.
2: Mm-hmm. And that's that enough for a the plant break. Yeah, uh, and you can produce the flower. It takes energy for them to pump water through themselves, and so that energy can't be used for other things. So is the secret to install an air conditioning system around your plants? Well, that would be an extreme. I yes. think that would be a greenhouse. <laughs> and it's very hard oh. to keep a greenhouse cool in, in our yeah. uh, Central Valley conditions, or Sacramento is, yeah. Valley
1: conditions. P- people immediately start thinking of, how do I heat the greenhouse? No, around here, you got to think how you about you how cool you're going
2: to cool it. The greenhouse, right. And it's usually a multiple of strategies that you have to use. When we grew giant pumpkins at school, the... You know, pump. If you've grown pumpkins or squash, you know that the leaves will wilt. Uh, it doesn't even have to get to 99 degrees. They wilt, and that's a, 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 a survival technique. When they wilt, they uh, trap the water that comes out of the leaf and underneath that wilted leaf, and, and, and so they don't work as hard to keep themselves from drying out or keep themselves cool. Uh, but what we did, so to get a giant pumpkin, you need the plant to be as, you know, not stressed as possible. Um, so we put a uh, a mist system under the plant. Under the plant? And had that go off in the afternoon. Okay. Yes, yeah, so we had two irrigation systems, one that watered the plant roots and one that just misted underneath the plant. Were these misting heads on a drip system? Yes. Okay. All right. So you're basically shooting up a little mist. Right. How far and apart were they spaced? I can't tell you that. I don't remember that. Because it's a secret? <laughs> no, just because I have a bad memory, um, and so, when I have had them, um more, my husband stopped eating tomatoes, so I don't and eggplant and uh, peppers, so I don't grow that stuff so much anymore. Since it's just the two of us, but when I had gardens with those very classic uh, summer crops for uh for uh for the home gardener, I would turn my irrigation system not a mist system, just a drip system on. At about four o'clock in the afternoon, not for very long, but enough to cool things down. What about the strategy
1: of using a shade cloth in the afternoon? Yeah,
2: I think that's a, a viable strategy. Or or siting your garden so that the afternoon uh, that it's shaded, the plants are shaded in the afternoon. That's what I did in Tucson when I lived in Tucson, Arizona, and temperatures were in the hundreds. They always cooled down at night, but they would uh, an extremely dry, single-digit Humidity and temperatures in the hundreds. Um, I sighted the garden. It was an accident, but it worked, uh, to get the shade from a mulberry tree in the afternoon. So it cooled it off. There seems to be in my neighborhood, the latest garden
1: hardscaping trend are umbrellas. <laughs> that are scattered throughout the yard. Okay. And, and these are in various that would yards. Work. and that would work. I see people doing this with their hydrangeas, for example. Yeah. Uh, so that would work. I, I could invest in somebody's get-rich-quick scheme of garden umbrellas and uh, use them uh, to shade my tomato plants in the late afternoon. Mm-hmm. If I only had the sun, <laughs>
2: that, would, that would be <laughs> the answer. <laughs> yeah, but, there's that other problem. If you don't have enough sun, yeah, it's hard to grow things. And, well, there are tomatoes that are parthenocarpic. That's a technical term. Yes, it is. It means having, bearing fruit without pollination. Sort of like Parthenogenesis. Yes. Um, which is the name of a Can't Heat album. That's the only reason I oh, know the word. I didn't know that. Go ahead. Um, carpic refers to uh, the seed. The seed. The seed. We'll just leave it at that. Um, and so if you, if it's without seeds, like a navel orange or a mandarin <laughs> or a square watermelon. I don't know. Are they seedless? I think so. Seedless watermelons actually do produce seed. They only produce a few of them. Mm. Um, But there are tomatoes. Oregon Spring, I believe, is one, and that was bred by Baggett, was his name, at Oregon State University. Um, So they don't need pollination to bear fruit. And they were typically bred for cold climates where it isn't warm enough for them to fruit. But I've wondered if that might be the direction we should be going uh, with this extreme heat.
1: Well, that brings up uh, an interesting point about growing tomatoes in the wintertime here, that mm-hmm. it, it it could be becoming more and more possible mm-hmm. to do that here, obviously, with some protection. Mm-hmm. And, but you'd want tomatoes that ripen uh, within 50 to 55 days. Right, a short day tomato, right. You are not going to get that sun-drenched beefsteak flavor. No, you're not. You're going to get at most, a tennis ball-sized tomato, mm-hmm. if you're lucky. Most of them are smaller than that, mm-hmm. having grown winter tomatoes in the greenhouse over the years. But there are many varieties that are just that. They're cold-weather climate tomatoes right. that, that, that basically do everything within a two-month period.
2: So maybe we shift our tomato-growing season, start in the fall. What are we, Phoenix? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe.
1: Yeah, it's it, it's getting to that point where you got to wonder. Well, all these people. I mean, for years I was saying, yeah, you you plant on my birthday, April twenty eighth, and now more it's moved it, back it, about a month. Yeah, exactly. It's moved back into late March. Yeah, uh, and it seems to have hold, held for several years. There's a very interesting article, and uh, you climate change deniers listening will have a field day with this. Um, in the Sacramento Bee Today, an Associated Press story headlined, Shrinking Winter Means Lush Gardens. And basically, it was uh, the National Weather Service and all sorts of uh, people keeping records on this have determined that our frost season mm-hmm. nationally is shorter than it used to be. Mm-hmm. And they you know, cite climate change for one of the reasons. If I'm allowed to say climate change, I don't know if I am or not. But anyway... Uh, overall, the United States free season of 2016 was more than a month shorter than the free season of 1916. So in that 100 years, we lost a month of cold weather. cold weather. And it was most extreme in the Pacific Northwest. Oregon's free season was 61 days. That's two months shorter than normal. Which means, are we coming up to year-round tomatoes here?
2: Well, and and the other, the problem... Or one of the problems that this is going to present is uh, we're going to have more pests because Mm -hmm. the frost kills pests. Uh, Fleas come to mind. We have a bad flea season if we don't have a a sharp cold in the winter.
1: Right. Uh, And grasshoppers could become a very big problem, too, Mm -hmm. in agricultural areas. And what about all our lovely deciduous fruit trees that need chill hours? Right. That's a
2: that could be a problem.
1: Yeah. Yes. We're going to have to go to low chill varieties. Yes. And we're seeing that more. I, I've seen this trend over the last few years with uh, fruit tree growers selling more low chill varieties just to get a crop. Now, in the, as far as good taste and low chill, that mm-hmm. doesn't really go hand mm-hmm. in hand. No,
2: not especially for things like apples.
1: Yeah. So, again, a double edged sword. Right. Anyway. Oh, we have to take a break. Okay, get off your platform and play some commercials, and then we'll be back and delve into your email that you're sending to Fred at FarmerFred.com as we continue with the K... Where are we? Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE.
0: Get Growing continues with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. Along with Debbie Flower,
1: horticultural... Nerd, Nerd. Nerd. And, and, but very knowledgeable. <laughs> Got a garden question? Give us a call five seven six one five seven eight or toll free eight six six three three one eight two five five. Let's go out to Carmichael and talk with Don here on Get Growing. Good morning, Don. Hello, Fred. Hi Good there. Evening. Hi. What's How's up? Everything over the year end of in the world. Fine. Uh, we're we're still standing.
3: <laughs> hey, I um, you're talking about the uh, tomatoes, uh, t- making them year round. I I had three volunteers come up in my garden just out of nowhere. So I I put them in some pots and I'm wondering uh, am I going to have any luck um, growing those things? Can I can I baby them or do something?
1: Who said all gardening is local? <laughs> uh, I forget who that was. But uh how much do you want how much are you willing to spend to baby them?
3: Oh, it's it'd be it'd be a hobby. I'm, I'm not I'm not worried about them and they they're free, so I don't have any money involved with in
1: them. Uh, my concern I,
3: I'm just curious uh, if I if uh, I'm going to get anything out of them or not.
2: Well, Debbie, the way I see it, you'd need light and you'd need heat. Right. You need temperatures above 50 degrees really mm-hmm. uh constantly, okay. night and day, and we're going to quickly drop below that naturally outside, so you'd have to Maybe bring them in for the night or uh, provide heat in some other bottom heat um, pad would work Mm -hmm. um, or some sort of a tent. A propagation mat, something like that. And then um, bright enough light that they are stimulated to flower.
3: I can do that with an electric, electric light or put them outside.
1: Natural light's best, but the problem where we live is sometimes there isn't enough light or temperatures above 50 degrees. It used to be in the good old days in Sacramento, December and January, you only saw the sun after 3.15 p.m. for about 20 minutes. Because of the fog. Yeah, yeah. and then it disappeared. And the temperature never hovered above 44.
2: So that, that would mean basically a greenhouse or a hoop house with supplemental lighting, maybe some supplemental heating, Uh, I mean, it's easy to grow greens in a hoop house in winter, but not a tomato. The one option you
1: may want to explore, I know some of the big box stores sell these indoor greenhouses. They're sort of like little tents with a fluorescent light fixture. And that might be enough to keep that plant alive until things warm up in March or April.
2: Yeah, fluorescent light is actually sufficient just to keep a plant alive. It won't bring it into flower, but it will keep it alive.
1: But then Mm -hmm. you're going to go back to a a problem we discussed earlier, and that's white flies.
2: Yes. Yes. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Green tomatoes indoors, you're getting white fly. There's no way around it.
1: Which is why I stopped growing winter tomatoes in my greenhouse, was I just got tired of battling the white flies. And you end up just tossing out the whole plant because it's so heavily infested. Oh, it's
2: so disgusting. Yeah. (laughs) You breathe them in. Oh, you swallow them. Yeah, it's kind of hard
3: to take them outside and, and spray them on, knock, knock, the, knock the white fly off, and then put them back in your greenhouse.
1: Well, the problem is the eggs in the soil, the eggs on the plant, and uh, you know you just got to keep doing it over and over again. And the yellow sticky traps are fine to let you know you have a problem but it's not going to solve the problem.
2: Commercially a lot of tomatoes are grown in greenhouses, but they would use uh beneficials. You can contact a company called Rincon, R I N C O N, Vitova, V I T O V A E, and they are an insectary. They sell to a lot of the other places that you would might buy beneficial insects from, and they know their stuff and they have a wonderful website. Um but you they do regular counting of their, their pests and their beneficials when they're growing, uh, tomatoes in a greenhouse commercially. And they do regular releases of beneficials, uh, to, to attack their, uh, uh, other pests. So if you wanted to get on and Rin- Rincon Vitova will mail, make ma- regular hmm. deliveries, you know, to you. They've done this it's for, like blue apron. Decades, decades. <laughs> yeah. But it's beneficial insects. Absolutely. Uh, you know, you could handle it that way if you're dedicated <laughs> enough.
1: Well, okay, now you're being very polite,
2: Debbie, mm-hmm. and not
1: talking about the reality of commercial agriculture, where they're going to be using imidacloprid in their soil to, to kill off the white flies.
2: Unless it's an organic indoor production. Exactly, yeah. yes. And the, ch-
1: the chances are most of the tomatoes you see at the grocery store are not organic.
2: Right. Yeah. And you have orga- to look pretty far for, for the organic, and they tend to be just the cherries. Yeah,
1: and they're in a small section. Mm-hmm.
2: They still
3: taste like cardboard.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, Exactly. And that's a, well, what are you going to do? But, uh, (laughs) hey, you know, Don, that's a worthwhile experiment, so go ahead and give it a try.
3: Yeah, I'll I'll give it a try, and then I'll report back in. That sounds good. I I hope so. Okay.
1: All right. Thanks, Don.
3: You bet. Thank you a lot.
1: All right. Bye-bye. Yeah, it's, uh, (sighs) if it ain't one thing, it's another. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, we did not, keeps us humble. We did not really discuss that when we were discussing white flight controls. But it is an alternative for controlling white flies. It's not the most desirable control, but it does work, and that is using some sort of soil-based product like imidacloprid that is absorbed by the soil, then through the roots of the plant, and then basically poisons the plant. Well, that's
2: right. The depressing part is that some of that imidacloprid probably is in the fruit that you eat. Well, what isn't
1: in what we eat
2: these yeah, days? I know.
1: I know, and that's that's the whole issue, from hormones to pesticides to whatever. <clears throat> it's there in small quantities, but you eat enough of it, and, right.
2: and you get sick. Fat-soluble or whatever.
1: Just so. ask anybody with too much leftover Halloween candy. You eat too much, you get sick. <laughs> okay. <Yeah. laughs> who knows what's in those? But, I mean, it, it is... A solution, but it is not the most desirable solution right. in an integrated pest management right. uh, situation. That would be the last resort. Right. That's that's the what I was. Yeah. That would be the last resort. Yeah. And, you know, but we got to put it out there just because it happens. Yes. And it's uh, for sale.
2: Yes. It's for sale and it's used regularly. It's effective. It's just poisons it's, a lot of things. Yeah. Isn't it nice, though, that, and you
1: did, hosting a radio garden show 20 years ago versus mm-hmm. versus today, mm-hmm. that the question has changed when a person would call. They would say, what can I buy to so- solve this problem? Mm-hmm. And now it's, what can I do mm-hmm. to solve this it problem? It is
2: wonderful, yes. Yeah. You know, having done my bachelor's degree in the 70s. Wow. Uh, yeah, so I'm old. Um, did we have cars back then? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we had to crank them. Um, so, I, yeah, I, I've seen it evolve, and that's a good thing. Yep. Yeah. And at the time, back
1: in the 70s, you had, you know, what were considered the whack jobs out there, like John Jevons or uh, J.I. Rodale or whatever, uh, talking about the benefits
2: of organics. And, uh, you know, they were just. Well, having off done as my, my education, my bachelor's in New Jersey. Think about the state of New Jersey. If you've been there, you probably experienced the uh, refineries. Um, I can remember driving from our house in New York to new, uh, see our new house in New Jersey, and asking, "Does anybody smell anything?" But me is what I said. Oh, okay. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't me that I was smelling. Yeah. It was the refineries. It's a. a very, it was the most densely populated state in the nation, and we had to learn how to handle pollution sooner than any other state in the nation. And that happens to be what my father, after he was first an oyster farmer, and then he was a, a professor of, of waste, of pollution and garbage. So I was exposed to these ideas, you know, that we're, our garbage doesn't just disappear um, and that the things we put into the environment come back to haunt us uh, very early in life. I dug holes and found methane around landfills uh, when I was a teenager. Oh, okay.
1: Not, not for fun.
2: No, I no. went with my dad, and this is something that he did. Wow. You know, heard stories about walls blowing up because of gases in mm-hmm. the wall. And, yeah. You know, it, so I I think New Jersey was ahead of the game, uh, so my education was maybe a little more advanced and a little more respectful of people like John Jevons and, and Rodale. Yeah, and uh, it, it's now more mainstream, thank yeah, goodness. Absolutely, yeah. yeah.
1: To the point where whole university systems have been developed. Yes. Uh Preaching independent, or independent, I'm okay. Uh, (laughs) Integrated. Integrated pest management. Right. IPM, which basically just means start with the less toxic alternative, and that really boils down to the right plant in the right place. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Feed the soil. Hey, we got a garden grappler coming up. Clue available at FarmerFred.com. Clue available at the Get Growing with Farmer Fred Facebook page. Check that out at 1105. We'll start the garden grappler. Debbie Flower will judge the quality of your answers. Mm -hmm. So... Are you ready for that? It's coming up on the hour number two of Get Growing right here on Talk 650 KSTE.
0: You're listening to Get Growing with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman.
1: And it's Garden Grappler time. A chance for you to pick up a prize or two from the Farmer Fred prize closet if you are up on your leafy green vegetables for this time of year. Debbie Flower is here. She will judge Mm -hmm. your answers. Name a cool season, leafy green vegetable that you can grow here. The key being cool season. The other being here. (laughs) Now, now here could be where you are. So I understand that. In in this day and age of internet radio and things like that there, uh, you could be listening from anywhere. So defend your answer. Name a cool season, leafy green vegetable that you can grow here. All right. All five callers get a prize. Special bonus prize for Caller 5 because, as you know, you cannot repeat an earlier answer. So Caller 5 has it toughest of all. The numbers to call in, 576-1578, 576-1578 in the 916 area code. Outside, toll-free, 866-331-8255, 866-331-8255. Name a cool season leafy green vegetable that you can grow here go ahead call all right yeah now call call <laughs> and now while you're thinking about that ruminating on that uh we have mike on the phone he's been uh, holding with a question let's talk with mike hi mike
4: hey hey thanks for the uh grand prize from that one on the indoor plants out the book that oh. was great oh, oh. that's good here
1: yeah that was uh, called the house plant handbook i believe
4: yeah it was it's a great book i want to thank you again sure Um, The question I have is, is I had an aloe vera plant in the house, right? Mm -hmm. And it was in a pot, and it got way too big, so I had to Mm -hmm. take it outside. And I gave it to my neighbor uh, across the way, because she loves aloe vera. Anyway, this time of year, can you have them, are they okay outdoors?
2: Uh, uh, Today, yeah. Yeah, this, right now they are. Uh, You don't want them out uh, with freezing temperatures, probably if, if temperatures got to 45, I'd bring it in or protect it. And you don't want to water it. Uh, that, that's the succulents. An aloe vera is a succulent, meaning it absorbs and holds onto water and uses it during periods of drought. Uh, they have so much water in them that, that they, uh, they're most damaged by cold, wet soil. Oh. So if you're going to keep it outside and if you're going to stress it, especially with cold temperatures, let it dry down. It'll look awful, but it'll recover.
4: You know the thing I was wondering about on that um I thought that they grew in the desert naturally, right? And uh, yeah, they grow in low they get really, rainfall really cold climates, cold in the desert at night.
2: But there's no water in the soil. But they're dry. yeah. I have I, I have a puncha or a prickly pear cactus outside um and they're they're really dry. They're in pots and they can go through lots of things in pots. If you have them in a landscape, you have to have them in the high spot in the landscape, or a place with extremely good drainage in the soil for them to okay. survive through the winter.
4: So if they stay outside, keep them uh, dry on the dry side. Yeah, and covered if it freezes. Right,
2: and it might.
1: Would it be a good idea, Debbie, if you have it in a movable pot to move sure. it under some sort of
2: cover when rain is predicted? Right. That could be the protection. Yes. Okay. Yes, and to prevent it from getting too wet, yes.
1: Now, usually when it rains here, the temperature is above freezing. Usually it's above 45 degrees, usually.
2: You know, Uh, there's just that one week. It's usually in December when it gets really cold, and that's when I lose a bunch of stuff. And and it's when you're out of town. It's when I'm out of town. I'm visiting relatives, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm not there to move the pot out of the rain. Yeah.
4: Well, you guys are very helpful. I I appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for calling, Mike.
1: I'm glad you enjoyed the book. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. All right. Again, the Garden Grappler question is name a cool season leafy green vegetable you can grow here. Now, I I run all these quizzes through my own brain uh, before I would tell you just because I have to be able to name five right off within 30 seconds. All right. That is one of my, if if my wife isn't home, otherwise I'd ask her (laughs) and run it by her. If she can't come up with
2: one, I don't use the question. Mm -hmm. All right. That's but, kind of you, Fred. Well, <laughs> <laughs> to know that there are answers to the questions you ask. Yes. Yeah. Well, well some of them can be difficult.
1: Yeah. But uh this is one the answer if you're at the grocery store right now, look around. Yeah. Yeah, there's some there. So, uh go for it. Name a cool season leafy green vegetable you can grow here. 576-1578 or toll-free 866-331-8255. Caller number one, Ellen in Sacramento. Hi, Ellen. Hello. Hi. What uh, leafy green cool season vegetable are you thinking of? Well,
5: I go for lettuces.
1: All right. All right. Or lettuce-i. I I don't know what the plural of lettuce is, (laughs) but that works. (laughs) Lettuce and mice. Yes, all sorts of great lettuce varieties out there. I think because you said lettuce, we can kind of talk about lettuces without giving away any answers but you 've got your head lettuce, you've got your loose leaf lettuce mm-hmm. debbie, which is the best ones to grow around here
2: loose leaf, I think is the easiest, but I have grown some they they have made some uh head lettuces that um do well in our climate, but they 're not iceberg would be the uh It'd be the classic, choice. <laughs> the classic head lettuce you know yes. it 's very hard head uh bowling ball my brother in law called it once. Uh, but, about as tasty as a bowling ball. Right. But sometimes you just like the crunch, you yeah, know? Yeah,
1: that's what it is.
2: Um, well, but, well, speaking of that, what is butter crunch? Is that a head lettuce or a leaf lettuce? I, I want to say it's a leaf lettuce. Okay. But there are some head lettuces that are much closer to leaf lettuces that have softer leaves. And, and you just, they're kind of, when you read about them in the seed catalog, they talk about how you harvest the whole head and how pretty uh-huh. it looks on the plate. You know, they're they're done more for their their symmetry than they are for their hard bowling ball. Uh, iceberg type of 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 presentation
1: exactly all right hey alan good answer there with lettuce and i have for you a couple of great handouts the farmer fred 11 garden rules handout and the sacramento vegetable planting uh, schedule from the sacramento county master gardeners
3: okay
5: thank you so much can Uh, i ask you a question
1: be my guest um
5: in september i found three leaf-footed bugs on my strawberry guava since you've been talking about bugs Is there anything I should do next year other than watch for them sooner?
1: That's always good. Watch for them sooner. Um, Leaf-footed bugs are becoming a a bigger problem in Mm -hmm. our area. They really like pomegranates, and uh, they'll go after – they're widening their appetites. And leaf-footed bugs, uh, trapping them in a bucket of uh, soapy water water
2: can help. Uh, They're pretty slow and lazy. Ellen, do I know you? Ellen?
4: Pardon?
2: <laughs> Pardon. <laughs> I think I recognize your voice. You do. Okay. Okay. Hi. Hi. <laughs> yeah, uh, trapping them works well. I saw them hatch. They, I saw their eggs on the wall of my uh, porch this year. Oh. That was interesting. What yeah. do they look like? They line up a uh, straight line, probably two and a half inches long and um, a kind of uh, rusty color and then when they come out, they're Kind of an orange, they look like a lot of other um, uh, uh, nymphs, uh, orange sort of roundish butt body.
3: Okay.
2: Yeah. All right. One of the things that
1: um, the folks at UCIPM recommended for controlling the leaf-footed bugs is to remove their overwintering sites. And they like to spend their uh, winters in wood piles, under the bark of eucalyptus, jupiter, or cypress, as well as in outbuildings. And uh, again, large numbers may pass the winter uh, in those. So fruit- bulldoze your trees and take yeah. down your shed <laughs>
2: just to prevent the leaf-footed bugs. Yes, but yeah, especially
1: if you have pomegranates, clean up the pomegranates because they like to spend the winter in, in the, the fruit. In, in the, the fruit, fruit. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That have split. Sanitation is huge in in preventing pests. Yeah, and and also weed control. Leaf-footed bugs love weeds as a food source during winter and spring. Uh, when they can't get fruit so if you can eliminate weedy areas near your garden uh, or at least keep them closely mowed that can
2: help a lot right they're probably eating the seed they seem to be seed feeders yeah okay yeah so i hope that helps
5: that is Thank you so much.
2: All right, Alan. Thanks, thanks for calling. Gary. All right. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. All
1: right. We'll take a short break. When we come back, we'll get the answers two, three, four, and 5. And today's Garden Grappler, name a cool-season green vegetable, leafy green vegetable that you can grow here. It's the Garden Grappler, and it's going on Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE.
0: Get Growing continues with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman.
1: In the midst of the Garden Grappler, we are getting five people who can name a cool season, leafy green vegetable that you can grow here. Ellen kicked off the proceedings and she mentioned lettuce. Mm-hmm. Lettuce is a good answer. Mm-hmm. Debbie Flower is here to judge the quality of your answers. We have two open lines at 576-1578 in the 916 or 866-331-8255. Caller number two in today's Garden Grappler in Citrus Heights, it's Diane. Hi, Diane.
2: Hello, good morning. Good morning. Good morning.
1: So go ahead, give us one of those leafy, cool season, leafy green vegetables you could grow here.
2: Swiss chard. Swiss chard. Swiss
1: chard. Yes. Yep, I like Swiss chard. I like Swiss chard because you can almost grow it year-round here. Yeah. I mean, it, it has to be a really long, hot summer for it to bolt. Mm-hmm. or to get bitter and i think july kind of proved that point <laughs> last yeah. year or this year yeah. earlier but swiss chard one of my favorite greens and that's a good answer and uh, you can certainly plant it now and uh, enjoy the fruits of your labor so to speak the greens of your labor yep. uh swiss chard all right so uh, what do we have for diane fred we have for her the sacramento vegetable planting schedule from the sacramento county master gardeners as well as farmer fred's 11 garden rules one of which states Bermuda grass is forever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, there you go, Diane. Thanks. Oh, go ahead. Have you have a question? question. Sure. Thank you. Um,
6: I have geraniums. Uh, my father used to, to uh, grow them and propagate them, and he had like a hundred cans. Wow. Um, I've he's passed on, but I, I have some of them, and I've been you know cultivating them also. Um, but this time right now, I they they have holes. Something mm-hmm. is eating them. I can't find the worm. Mm-hmm. I can't. I don't. I haven't seen any grasshoppers, um, but there's holes in the leaves, in, in the middle of the leaf and on the edges. They're just eaten up. What do you think it is, and what can I do?
2: Good question. It's probably some the larva of something that flies. Okay. Um, A worm. A well, worm? there also could be. Well, the budworm would get in the flower. Yeah. I'm also wondering about a, uh, there are some leaf spots that geraniums get. Oh, yeah. Fungal diseases. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Like an entomosporium sort of thing?
2: Yeah. uh, Bacterial leaf spot. Yeah, What does Photinia get? Uh, um, Yeah, entomosporium leaf spot. Yeah, Yeah, that's that's, uh, uh, genus specific. Uh, foliage feeding caterpillars i 'm looking at the u c i p m website and it's it mentions beet armyworm. uh that the cabbage looper would also get into geraniums and that 's uh we were talking maybe on the other show about the well the cabbage worm um, uh and that is a is a leaf eater but holes are they round holes they're no they're they're from the edges and
6: in the middle <laughs> there 's a few round but most of them are just... If it was just
2: it round in, in the middle, not on the edges, then I would say it's a fungal disease. I was pruning my apricot yesterday, and, and they get um, shot hole fungus, the, the prunuses do. And that's just a whole lot of holes in the leaves. The fungus... This, uh, no, this is
6: definitely eaten.
2: Definitely, and definitely on the edges as well as the center.
6: Snails. Yeah.
2: Snails. Oh, I hadn't thought of that.
6: Oh, I haven't seen any evidence of any, but that's, I'll be looking for that.
1: Yeah, give it a shot. Yeah, put some. I, I still like the idea of putting flour beneath these plants that are getting mysteriously eaten to see what sort of trails or mm-hmm. footprints show up.
6: Right, right.
1: So okay. you might try that.
6: All right, I appreciate it. All right,
1: Thank you. Diane, good answer with the Swiss chard. Thank you. Uh huh. All right, okay. bye bye. All right, where do we go from here? We go to Auburn and Todd. Hi, Todd. Hey. Um- I rode my bike to Auburn yesterday. You have a lot of steep hills in Auburn. Yes, we do. Yes, you do. All right. So, Todd, go ahead. Give us a leafy green vegetable that you could plant now. Collard greens. Yeah, absolutely. Collard greens? Yeah. Really? Okay. It's a, a cool season? Yes. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. Okay. Uh, what am I thinking of? Oh, I know what I'm thinking of, but it's a summer green. I guess it's a green. Uh, okra? Oh yeah, we we'll eat the pod and okra. Okay, all right. I don't know. All right, collard greens, Todd. Good answer. I'll send you uh, Farmer Fred's eleven garden rules and the Sacramento ve- vegetable planting schedule. Woo, woo! That's right. <laughs> all right. One quick question. Sure. Lots of tomatoes, big bushy plants this
4: year. Lots of tomatoes, but they just not turning red.
1: Yeah, it's that time of year where you got. Not as many hours of day or, uh, mm-hmm. you know,
2: consistent even heat. Even
4: during the summer, even July, August. Well, just when it's really it. hot,
2: the plant act, the plant just shuts down. It doesn't do things. It, it only keeps okay. itself cool. It doesn't ripen. It doesn't make hormones. It doesn't transport as well. Um, so heat can be equally as damaging as not enough light or cold.
3: Okay. We just and don't we don't plan, think of that.
2: But what? I'm sorry.
6: Planting too many of them too close
1: together, too bushy.
2: Yes, that will definitely do it. If you've ever had one, you know, die and on the ground, and then the next season, and you look out there and you have all these baby tomatoes in like a foot square, uh, it, you won't get fruit because they're too close together. That's very true.
1: And don't forget yeah, that also good. that uh, with uh, tomato plants, uh, you know, you gotta kind of besides giving them the space. Um if you feed them too much nitrogen fertilizer, you can lose all the blossoms that way, too.
2: Yeah, you said he has a lot of fruit, right? A lot of, lots of fruit. So okay. much fruit, it's unbelievable. All so right. you could uh, take, if anybody's starting to show any yellow color, you can take them off and they'll ripen off the plant. Um, or you get recipes for fried green tomatoes.
1: Yep, there's yeah, that. Uh, there, I actually, that last
2: night. at the Farmer Fred
1: Rant blog page, I actually have a very descriptive uh blog report in there about the various stages of red and when you know with pictures so you can determine when is the best time to pick a green tomato aha
2: and it's it's ah, from wonderful. they they do research like that at the university of florida and they ripen from the bottom up so you want to look at the bottom well that would be the blossom end the blossom end yeah, yeah. okay there you go okay. todd
1: thank you all right thanks for calling appreciate it Good. all right Next caller, it's caller number four in today's Garden Grappler. It's Amy here in Sacramento. Hi, Amy. Hi. So, Amy, what uh, leafy green cool season vegetable could you grow here? Kale. Oh, yeah. Kale, kale, the gang's all here. All right. And kale, uh, you've got your ornamental kales, your colorful
2: kales. Right. You've got your green kales. Got all kinds of kales. Is, is green for eating and ornamental for looking? Well, some of the ornamental ones are green or have green in them. um. Uh, and you can probably eat the ornamental ones they just may not be as tender and sweet as the others okay all right so there you go kale good answer amy thanks
5: i have a question
1: be my guest
5: um my tomato has a uh, white fly mhm now should i dispose of it or can i put put it uh in the compost pile
1: what's the date amy the date yeah what's the date today yeah <laughs> today
5: uh 29th
1: of October? October. October 29th. It's the end of tomato
2: season. So yeah. she wants to know whether she should throw it out. Yes. Or yes. compost it. Oh, oh, okay. Because there's white flies on
5: it.
1: Darn, you, you ruined my snark, Amy. All right. What was this about 28th? Well, it's a, it's a 29th. Uh, the 29th. That's why she was confused. Okay, all right. No, that because it's so late in the season for tomatoes, it, it's no sense in trying to preserve the plant. Your right. best bet is tossing it.
2: Right, but can she compost it with oh, white flies on okay, it? Oh, okay, yeah. No, um, I would be fine with that. If it's a hot compost if pile. If it's a hot compost pile yeah. and, you know, turned regularly, um, I would be fine with it, yeah. frankly, even if it's not, because they're not going to survive. Uh, oh, they aren't? No.
5: Oh, then I could just throw it in the yard and uh, chop it up.
2: Yeah? Yeah.
5: Oh, okay. I thought I thought maybe the larva would no. overwinter. No, okay, well, if it's in a
1: compost pile, it shouldn't
5: okay, so this is this the twenty ninth is too late. you know last year what I did I had a um, cherry tomato, so I went and um, cut it off and put it in, in some water right and left it on the patio. it rooted yep, and then you the, can do that planted it
2: <laughs> you can propagate from tomatoes, that's very true. They are technically a perennial crop, meaning they live uh, more than two years. The only reason that they die for us is that we get too cold. Oh. Now, and the good news with that, I would think, if you're growing a hybrid variety and you take a cutting, you're going to get a hybrid variety That's the right. following it's year. That's It's going to be true. Yeah. The same type. So if you have one you really like, you definitely can do that again this year. But watch out for whiteflies.
5: I didn't get whiteflies. I kept it outside.
2: Okay. Well, oh, wow. Yeah. All right. With some winter protection, I assume. Yeah. Yeah. You can do that.
5: I was surprised. It made it.
1: Cool. Well, you're a good gardener, Amy.
5: No, I just experimented.
1: (laughs) Okay, all right. That's good. Experiment is good. It was a successful experiment. Yeah. Okay, congratulations. Okay. All right, I'll be sending you that stuff.
5: Okay, thank you. Uh,
1: All right, bye-bye. That stuff, by the way, is the Farmer Fred's 11 Garden Rules and from the Sacramento County Master Gardeners, the Sacramento Vegetable Planting Schedule. Caller number five in today's Garden Grappler, it's Roberta. Up in Garden Valley and Roberta, uh, let's see. Garden Valley, it, it's still in Placer County, Nevada County, El Dorado. El Dorado County. I was so close. <laughs> One of those. I counties. had a choice of. I had a choice of three. What I will do if if you if you can come up with a leafy green vegetable you can plant now. That isn't lettuce, Swiss chard, collards, or kale. I have for you the uh, Placer County Master Gardener Gardening Guide and Calendar, which works just as well in El Dorado, yes, Amador, true. or Nevada County.
6: Yes. Well, there's a variety of broccoli that's called broccolini. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: There is, yeah. Mm-hmm. That, that's and, a. And you eat the greens mm-hmm. too. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep, there Very is. Good. It surprised me when I bought it. <laughs> <laughs> you're looking for the. Oh, did you grow it? Yeah, waiting for those heads yeah, to I was form. Yeah, waiting for the heads. No, oh, it's just the greens. Okay, all right. They don't really tell you that on the little label. I just thought <laughs> you're it was, supposed to know these things. I know, but I thought it was just going to be small heads because it said Eenie. So, no, ene, I, I,
6: I eat it all the time at Red Hawk Casino.
1: Oh, okay. Okay, broccolini. Yeah. All right. Broccolini. <laughs> All right, <laughs> Roberta. <not>
6: Italian.
1: <laughs> okay. I'll, I'll be sending you that Master Gardener gardening guide and calendar, okay? Very good. Thank All you right. so All th- right. Thank you, Roberta. All right. Good job. All right. All right. Bye-bye. Good. Bye. And uh, Debbie Flower, good job. Yes, Fred. Thank you, sir. <laughs> you, did, you did fine. Um, My pleasure, always. We'll be waiting for the book for your next lecture tour for... Uh, <laughs> Uh, dream on yeah the tv show uh, (laughs) all that stuff (laughs) okay long wait hope you i hope you come back soon i will do that oh good thank you i appreciate that that's debbie flower When we come back we're going to talk about seed saving here on get growing on talk 650 kste
0: Listening to Get Growing with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman.
1: Well, it's that time of year when maybe you're thinking of tearing out your tomato, your pepper, your squash plants, and you're thinking, well, wait a minute, maybe I'll save some of these seeds and grow them next year because I really liked this particular variety. Well, saving seeds is fun. However, there are some precautions that you need to take if you are going to be saving seeds from your current vegetable garden. And we're talking with Linda Sanford. Linda is a Sacramento County Master Gardener and wrote a wonderful article in the Sacramento County Master Gardener newsletter for October about saving seeds. And Linda, I guess what a lot of people don't realize is that even though they may have enjoyed a particular variety of pepper or tomato, if they save the seeds, from that, there may be a chance that when they plant the seeds from that vegetable next year, it might be slightly different.
7: Right. So just some plant saving seed basics. Um, I'm going to define some terms. Okay.
1: I love terms. Okay.
7: Okay. Terms are good. First, uh, the first term I want to explain is hybrids, hybrid, H-Y-B-R-I-D. Generally, anything that's a hybrid is not good for home seed saving. And the reason is that hybrids are the result of cross-pollinating two genetically different plants. They're usually marked on a seed packet or on the plant itself as F1. That's F as in Frank 1. And what that means is these are uh, first-generation hybrid seeds. They're the result of to parent seeds, which are generally quite superior, but produce a baby plant, a hybrid that is even more vigorous. However, if you save these types of seeds, they could be sterile or the plant that results from the F1 seed will revert to one or more of their ancestors. So a really common example in our area of an F1 hybrid is a big boy tomato, not a good seed to
1: save. Why is that particular tomato variety so difficult to save from seed? What happens if you plant the seed from that the following year or will nothing happen?
7: Some of the seeds could be sterile. Some could be progeny or the result of their parent plant characteristics. But most typically, they'll end up not being like the wonderful big boy tomato you grew this year. Instead, they'll be the result of their ancestors.
1: That isn't necessarily a bad thing, though, is it? No, the fruit
7: could be quite tasty, but it won't be exactly like the big boy tomato that you grew this year, for example
1: that's hybrid varieties. Now, the other type of seed that uh, somebody may plant is called an heirloom variety. And what are the precautions about that?
7: Well, with those, you need to think about how close or how far apart the plants are that are either wind or insect pollinated. Another thing to think about when you're saving seed is whether the plant is self-pollinated, meaning that the parent plant has both male and female parts on it and doesn't require wind or an insect to pollinate it. Those are pretty easy uh, to collect and also probably for early or first-time seed savers, the ones you want to collect. And those might be beans or
6: peas
7: or lettuce, tomatoes, peppers because you're guaranteed that you're going to get what you grew this year. Now, when you're thinking about heirlooms, you also need to think about cross-pollination. And that means that the plant is expect is accepting pollen from another plant of the same species but might be a different Variety, which means it has a, a somewhat different uh, genetic makeup. Now, these can either be wind-pollinated or insect-pollinated or both. So wind-pollinated plants might be something like uh, corn or beet or chard or spinach. If that's the case, then you have to separate plants of different varieties for a great distance, at least 3,200 feet or more.
1: (laughs) Two-thirds of a mile. that
7: means, yeah, that means your neighbor might be growing something that could potentially cross-pollinate with your plant. With insect-pollinated plants, distances are a little less, but they're still a quarter mile or more, 1,500, 1,600 feet. Those plants would be any of the brassicas like broccoli, Brussels sprouts, it, uh, cabbage, et cetera, carrots, celery, cucumbers, kale, melon, onions. So with those, that you also need to separate different varieties. And again, your neighbor may be growing something that's different than what you have by uh, at least 15, 1,600 feet.
1: Now, most people don't have that kind of room, so I guess the uh, other plan would be to isolate that plant with some sort of cover or some sort of protection.
7: Correct. You can put a cage around the plant, cover it with some uh, light penetrating cloth, and that will generally separate the plants. But if they're insect pollinated, you still need to remove that cover so that the insects can get to the plant.
1: The other option for, I guess, insect pollinated plants would be to transfer the pollen yourself, as in the case of squash plants, using a little artist's paintbrush to move the pollen around mid-morning when the flowers are open. Right.
7: Now, thinking about squash, anything in the cucurbit family, they easily cross-pollinate, not just between variety, but between species. So squash and pumpkins, for example, can cross-pollinate or squash and watermelon or cucumbers. And you can get some really interesting fruit from (laughs) those plants. The fruit is edible, but you shouldn't uh, save the seeds.
1: Well, basically, it's an adventure and uh, it's always fun to to try it out and see what happens. And who knows, you might be developing your own new variety that you can name after yourself after seven years or so. But with uh, I think the bottom line to all this is if you are going to save, if you want to save seeds, you have to know that at the beginning of the season when you plant that particular variety in order to protect that plant uh, and keep it in ice isolation with a cover or surrounding it with uh, other different plants in order to keep it from uh, being pollinated by another variety but it's doable and and it's fun now we've talked a little bit about uh, the difference between hybrid and heirlooms and some of the precautions and uh, when we come back let's talk about the fun part about saving these seeds for vegetables and how to save them and where to save them okay Okay. All right. Linda Sanford is our guest, Sacramento County Master Gardener. We're talking about seed saving tips for vegetables and we'll get some specifics about how to save those seeds for your typical backyard garden crops. When we come back, you're listening to Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE.
0: Get Growing continues with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman.
1: We're saving seeds for vegetables for next year. We're talking with Linda Sanford, Sacramento County Master Gardener earlier, talking to Linda, we found out about some of the precautions about seed saving, about the difference between hybrid and heirloom varieties and how you can protect them from uh, stray pollen from another similar plant so that you'll have uh, the true plant uh, next uh, year if you're growing from an heirloom variety. Not so true with hybrid varieties, however. But let's get into the specifics about seed saving tips for the various vegetables, Linda. Let's talk about Mm -hmm. saving bean seeds, for example. How do you go about doing that?
7: Okay, they're one of the easiest seeds to save because you let the plant do the work. You just let the pods age on the vine until they're brown. And they're usually a little dry and crinkly. And you pick those up. You just pick out the little bean seeds and then you put them in some kind of a storage container. If you can't get to it right away, that's okay. You just let them hang somewhere for a little while um, and they can actually be stored in that form as
1: well. Yeah, there are a lot of beautiful, beautiful bean seeds available in, in heirloom varieties that uh, do well in our area when you grow them. And you can uh, buy heirloom seeds of beans from uh, such outlets as uh, the Seed Savers Organization or Baker Creek right. or any other number of uh, heirloom seed companies. And uh, right. you talked about storing seeds and s- some general practices for storing seeds. I would think either paper or glass would be better than plastic for storing them.
7: Correct. And that's just because plastic breathes in a way that lets some of the chemicals in the plastic decompose. So if you want to be a purist, then the kind of container you use should be glass or metal. Hmm. And the big key with saving seeds is to keep them dry and dark. So for my example, for myself, since I don't have a lot of storage area, I put them in my extra bedroom in the closet and just put them up on the
1: shelf. Dry, dark, and cool are the keys for saving seed, and not too many of us have a root cellar. It should be mandatory. Every home should have a root cellar, but (laughs) we don't. Uh, And I know a lot of people will like to save seeds uh, in in a cool, dark spot under the bed. And the problem Uh with under, under the bed is you might forget about it. And I'm speaking of personal experience on this. So you have to you have to write yourself notes in your garden diary or wherever where you've hidden the seeds for next year.
7: Right. And label the package because you may not remember which exact variety you saved. So it's really important to label it.
1: All right, let's move on to cucumbers. Uh, Cucumbers, uh, when do you harvest those seeds?
7: When they're fully ripe. And cucumber seeds are like squash seeds. When they come out of the plant, they have a little moisture around them. So you just want to rinse it off and then maybe put it on a piece of paper. You can use uh, paper towels, whatever. And then let the seed dry before you put it in a container.
1: Now, a lot of people, when they save seed, they they think, okay, well, I'll just let it flower and it'll produce seed and I will save that seed. That's not a good idea, though, if you are trying to save lettuce seed, is it?
7: Correct, because sometimes lettuce will fold where it sends up a big inner hard, uh, sort of like a spike that has leaves around it and then the flower is at the top. That bolting occurs due to heat. So for lettuce, you want to make sure that it goes to flowering and you save your seed prior to when it has bolted. And then with lettuce, you can just take a paper or even a plastic bag and tie it off around the top where the flower head is and let the seed then collect inside that bag.
1: Now, a lot of the seeds, especially some of the bigger seeds, they may seem kind of slimy. They have some sort of coating, and you have to deal with that coating uh, before you can store the seeds. Uh, melons, for example.
7: Right. Now, melons are, have a membrane on the seed, and uh, as it dries, it becomes papery, and you can rub it off with your fingers. But I usually rinse my melon seeds and let some of the water remove that membrane then spread them out on a paper towel and let them dry before i store them
1: would that also be true with pumpkin seeds
7: yes but with pumpkin seeds you also want to let make sure that when you harvest the pumpkin seed the outer shell of the pumpkin is fully formed it's kind of hard you can knock on it and it'll make a little wrap and then yes and then you want to let those seeds Stay in the pumpkin for two to three weeks because what's happening is the pumpkin then is losing moisture and uh, then open up the pumpkin and take out the seeds, rinse them, take off the membrane and let it dry. Squash and pumpkins both. You want to make sure that the outer part of the fruit is fully formed and hard and then let it set for two to three weeks. Some people call that curing.
1: All right, let's talk a little bit about another slimy seed, and this is a little bit trickier to deal with, and that's tomato seeds, and those are probably the seeds that people want to save the most. But again, you're going to have a better luck uh, with getting next year's crop to be true to what you grew this year if it's from an heirloom seed that's been protected as opposed to a hybrid seed. Right. And so So you want
7: to make sure the tomato is, is ripe, and that means it's in full color and it's firm, but you can still it's still a little bit tender to the to the touch. And then you scoop out the tomatoes and they're interesting in that they have this little gel-like covering around the seed. So you want to remove that gel-like covering. And the easiest way is just to drop that mass of seeds into some warm water and the water will dissolve some of that gel. And then again, like with the squash or melon seeds, you can then sort of rub your fingers over them and put them out on a paper, uh, anything, a piece of paper, uh, paper towel, and uh, let the seed dry. Now, not all tomato seeds will be viable because tomato seeds, tomatoes are interesting. They produce different stages in their seed formation. So when you put the tomato seeds in the water, notice which ones go to the bottom. Those are the ones you want to save. The ones floating at the top are not fully formed.
1: Another tip worth uh, noting, especially with tomato seeds, is when you have them out to dry, I I learned the hard way. Don't put them on a paper towel. Put them on a coffee filter, because if you put them on a paper towel, the fibers of the paper towel will stick to the seeds.
7: Oh, good, good point. Also, um, I've tried it on kitchen towels, which have a lot of lino, uh, nap to them. It's a little hard to pick them off.
1: Yeah, all right. So we're, we're rapidly running out of time here. So let's uh, rush through peas and peppers. Peas, I bet, sort of like beans, you collect the seed when the plant dies. Correct. And with uh, peppers, I guess, wait for the plant to start to shrivel up.
7: Right. And peppers are one of the easiest ones to collect because they don't, unlike tomatoes, they don't have any gel around the seed. So you just open up the pepper, pick out the little mass of seed and lay it out to dry. I think of all the seeds that are easy to collect, peppers, beans, and peas are the
1: easiest. All right. And with watermelon seeds, kind of like tomatoes, you have to put them in a glass of water and throw out the ones that float and save the ones that uh, sink to the bottom.
7: And like squash, you have to make sure that it has that two to three week period before once you harvest it, before you open up the melon and collect
1: the seed. All right. A lot of good tips here about saving seeds from your vegetable garden. Linda Sanford, Sacramento County Master Gardener. Thanks for enlightening us on this. Oh, you're welcome. You're listening to Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE. And I'm glad you are. Uh, Taking a look at the weather, the upcoming weather for the week, there are some changes. It looks like summer has finally been defeated. Uh, Yesterday's high was 86 in Sacramento. Today's high, 81. Monday's high, 71. 72 on Tuesday. 73 on Wednesday. Thursday, 71. And then changes in the weather. A chance of rain on Friday and Saturday, possibly Sunday. It's going to be a light rain. This isn't an atmospheric river. You may recall last year at this time, we had here over four inches of rain already for the season, which now begins on October 1st. It runs October 1st through September 30th. Uh, So far this year, quarter inch, maybe. Depends where you live. So, So it's getting off to a slow start. Normally, by this point in the year, we've had about eight-tenths of an inch of rain. So we're only at about 16% of normal or thereabouts. So well, that would be more than that, wouldn't it? Uh, let me do the math in my head. Um, 16% of normal. Yeah, okay. Because actually in down official downtown Sacramento, they only had a little over a tenth of an inch of rain out at our place. We had a quarter inch of rain. But uh, all rain is local. So... You will get something. How much you get this coming weekend, next weekend, m- remains to be seen. But at least the weather is cooling off. Overnight lows are going to finally dip down into the upper 40s for the coming week. But mild temperatures all the way through Thursday. And then that chance of rain for Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And Saturday's high. Next Saturday, the high is only going to, supposed to be 60 degrees. So it we may get that fall color yet. And we may get uh, some leaves to rake, too, if you haven't already. It'll just be a wetter mess to uh, deal with. But it's only for a few weeks a year. We shall make it. All right, let's uh, take a look at upcoming garden events. Uh, Maybe you want to do some uh, pumpkin hunting. Head out to a pumpkin patch. A lot of the Sacramento County Farm Bureau members uh, have uh, pumpkin patches out at their uh, agricultural businesses. Such as Romer Pumpkin Patch at sixty-eight fifty one Hedge Avenue in Sacramento. They're open till five o'clock. Perry's Pumpkin Farm at thirty-one oh one El Centro Road in Sacramento. Uh Basteo Farms and Goblin Gardens at thirty-eight forty five El Centro Road. That's also in North Natomas. And and they have a pumpkin launcher, too. I, I'm not sure exactly if it's like a catapult pumpkin launcher or what, but it sounds interesting. Davis Ranch uh, out on Jackson Road in Slough House. Offering uh, pumpkins, steamboat acres on Sutter Island Road in Cortland, 15989 Sutter Island Road, if you want to go down to the Delta. Uh, has a has pumpkins, hay rides, fresh honey. And Delta Farmers Market on Highway 12, 2510 Highway 12 in Eilton. Uh they featuring pumpkins of all shapes and sizes. So there you go. All right. Uh, what else is going on uh, to talk about? Yeah, there is a, a talk coming up at the... Uh, Community Center in Cameron Park this coming Thursday on the New Backyard Orchard. You may have heard us talking about it last week on the show, the pre-recorded show, because I was off doing a Century bike ride, 100 miler. I feel fine. Thank you. The, uh, the class this Thursday is called the New Backyard Orchard. It'll be from 1030 to 4 o'clock at the Cameron Park Community Center. Three great speakers, Phil Purcell from Dave Wilson Nursery, Ted DeYoung, He's a professor of tree crop pomology at UC Davis and Chuck Engels, a uh, farm advisor for Sacramento County. We'll be talking on various aspects of growing fruit trees so you can learn all about uh, tree care with these three leading experts during this day-long new Backyard Orchard Workshop, 1030 to 4. It's Thursday, November 2nd at the Cameron Park Community Center on Country Club Drive next to the Cameron Park Library. And uh, that it, there is a cost, $40, and that includes workshop materials and a light lunch uh, brought to you by your Master Gardeners up there in El Dorado County. So there you go. And uh, what else? Uh, oh, the uh, Sacramento uh, Organic Garden Club has a program Friday at 10 a.m. called Chicks in the City. Andrea McDonald, Master Gardener, will talk about chickens' role in integrated pest management, using chickens to eat your bugs. And that'll be at the Sacramento Organic Club meeting in Carmichael Park Friday, 10 a.m. to noon. Carmichael Park and the administration building is on Grant Avenue near Grant and Fair Oaks. And uh, that, again, will be Friday. All right. Coming up next on this very radio station or Internet station or whatever you're listening to is the KSDE Farm Hour, one of my favorite programs. Uh, We're going to do a little wrap-up on the wine country fires. It's not all wrapped up yet, but we have a better idea of all the damage involved. And we'll run down the list of wineries' hardest hit. Also, the latest on the Delta Tunnels vote. The Santa Clara Water Agency sort of threw a monkey wrench into the works. uh, on Their vote is interesting. You'll have to listen to find out what it is. And there are more snags in the North American Free Trade Agreement talks. And one of the problems is coming from tomato growers in Florida. And we talk about the coffee bean industry in California. Farmers growing coffee trees. Yeah, it's happening right here in the Golden State. That's coming up next on the KSTE Farm Hour. Next week on this very program, it's the 25th anniversary show. Ha! I don't feel 25. But I hope you can join us for that. The very first guest on the show... Way back when was Brad Gay from J.B.'s Power Equipment in Davis. He's alive and well, and we'll be here. Talk to you next week. Bye-bye.